God. Oh, powerful, untamable, awestruck, we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim, you are amazing God. Who has told every lightning bolt where it should go? Or seen heavenly storehouses laden with snow? Who imagined the sun and gives source to its light? Yet conceals it to bring us the coolness of night. None can fathom indescribable uncontainable you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name you are amazing god oh powerful untamable awestruck we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim you are amazing god indescribable uncontainable you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name you are amazing god incomparable unchangeable you see the depths of my heart and you love me the same you are amazing god You are amazing, God. You are amazing, God. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. I saw something earlier this week that said uh, we should be as excited to come to church as we are about the Super Bowl. And enough so that at the end of the sermon that we douse the pastor with a bucket of Gatorade. So who's in? Any takers? <laughs> All right. Um, well, I was thinking this week a little bit just about why we come to church. You know, why do we do this every week? And uh, I wasn't feeling so great this week. I'm sure a lot of people aren't. A lot of, like, head congestion and just felt awful. I tried to make it through a couple days, and eventually I was like, why am I doing this? So I went and saw Dustin at, at Walgreens and said, please give me something behind the counter to help me. And so he did, and it was such a relief. And a lot of times I can be so prideful, and I want to fix everything myself, and I can handle it all myself. But we come to church this morning to gather with other Christians so that we don't have to. You know, we're told to rejoice with one another. We're told to mourn with one another. We're told to walk alongside one another. So we're not meant to live this life alone. And so we come this morning to celebrate God together. We come this morning to share each other's burdens. Amen? And we also come to worship a God who's worthy. So I want to read from Psalms. Chapter 34, it says this. I bless God every chance I get. My lungs expand with praise. I live and I breathe, God. If things aren't going well, hear this and be happy. Join me in spreading the news. 
Together, let's get the word out. God met me more than halfway. He freed me from my anxious fears. Look at him. Give him your warmest smile. Never hide your feelings from him. When I was desperate, I called out, and God got me out of a tight spot. God's angels set up a circle of protection around us while we pray. Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. And this morning, let's rest in that place. Let's rest in God's arms this morning as we worship him through singing, through the hearing of his word. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. I was reminded this morning that this is not our day, this is your day. And so God, I pray that you would have us do your will today. <clears throat> pray that you would help our minds to be receptive to you this morning, that we may hear your word preached, God, and that we may truly worship you this morning. God, as we are get ready to take our offering this morning, God, I pray that you would bless this offering, that you would use it to minister to people, that you would use it to reach more people, um, to get them to know you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. God, we thank you that uh, we learn from cover to cover in the, in the scriptures that you love us. And then as we come to experience uh, life with you, we experience that firsthand. We experience your love for us and your grace toward us. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for the gospel. I thank you for calling us together as a church. We thank you for the, the many blessings that we have received and, and all the ways that we uh, rejoice because of that. We thank you this week for the birth of uh, Jackson Kelly Hodges. We, we celebrate with our family uh, for that, that new uh, little boy. Um, I pray that you would be uh, with Sarah as she uh, recovers and with that little boy as he uh, grows. Our prayer is that he would come to know you. Um, we also know that there are some who are uh, hurting, some who are grieving. We pray that you would um, be with uh, Paula Reese this week after uh, breaking her hip. I pray that you would bring her comfort, bring her encouragement, and bring, her, uh, bring full healing to her body as well. Thank you that uh, Gary Swanson had a, a positive diagnosis. There was nothing majorly wrong after an incident uh, this week. We thank you uh, for that family as well and pray that you'd be with them. And of course, there are many more, uh, many concerns, many uh, joys in this room this morning. And I pray that you would uh, bring your healing where healing is needed or that you would uh, bring great joy uh, when there are reasons to celebrate and help us as a church family to be uh, mourning with those who mourn and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Bind us together so that we would show uh, your love to one another. And I thank you so much for, for drawing us together into a community uh, under the name of Jesus, that we may be one, and I pray that we would live that out every day. And now as we open your word, I pray that you would send your spirit among us so that we would hear rightly, so that we would know you and know what it means to live in obedience to you every single day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I ran into uh, Pastor Chuck Warren. Uh, Chuck was the pastor at, at this church about 25 years ago in the late 80s and, and early 90s. Uh, some of you know him very well. Uh, but Chuck has spent the last 20-some years working for our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America. And he's been visiting pastors and supporting churches in different capacities uh, throughout Michigan, Indiana, and the Midwest for, for almost 25 years. Uh, and in that time period, he has logged something like 2 million miles uh, in his car. I had a chance to spend some time with him uh, a year ago, 
uh, with a group of, of pastors that was meeting uh, near Big Rapids, and he was uh, so excited to hear what was happening at this church uh, that he got to serve um, for a number of years, and he was so excited to hear what God was doing right now in life for our church. But here's what I found out when I saw him two weeks ago. He just retired at the end of last year at 78 years old. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that is crazy, working until you're 78 years old. My picture of retirement is very different uh, than that. If you do a Google search of retirement, you'll see a picture that, that looks like retirement to me. This is kind of my vision of retirement. I think of kind of going out to a leisurely breakfast with my wife and enjoying uh, the solitude, enjoying a different pace. It's kind of lingering over a cup of coffee, maybe, maybe uh, with a book at hand and just spending a lot of time, uh, maybe just sitting on a beach and relaxing. This is what I think of when I think of retirement. Basically, it's like endless vacation, right? And then there's this guy who's driving millions of miles all over the Midwest and working until he's 78 years old. I think that's crazy. And, and, and now, even though he's officially retired, the day I saw him, he had driven all the way down to Chicago for the installation service of a pastor down there. And then he'd driven all the way back up to Grand Haven to support a family who's grieving. He might make it to three million miles before, before, by the time he's done. But this got me thinking, what does it mean to finish well? What does it mean for a follower of Jesus to live faithful to his call to the very end of their life? We come to the final section in our study of the book of 2 Timothy, and we see here the example of an older church leader who's coming to the end of his life, and he's looking back and, and seeing that he has lived his life well. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to see, we're going to read what, what, what are probably Paul's final words that we have, at least recorded in the Bible. And as we finish this series, we're going to see what it means to finish well. And this is really a fitting end to this series. We've been starting this year trying to gain a sense of what are gospel priorities for us as followers of Jesus. How can we make sure that we as a church and we as followers of Jesus can align our hearts and our priorities with what God directs us to in His Word? So we're going to look at the last section of 2 Timothy. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll look at verses 6 through 22, the end of the book. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's fine. Grab one from the pew rack. 2 Timothy 4 is found on page 1180 of the pew Bibles. So 2 Timothy 4, 6-22, page 1180. As we look at the example of Paul here at the end of his life, we get two really important realizations as he looks back at the end of his life. The first realization that we come to is realize that Paul has confidence that he has lived his life well. So let's look at how this passage starts, 2 Timothy 4, beginning of verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I have to say that the first time I ever heard this passage preached, it was from uh, an old man who was very feeble and very frail. I, I watched him kind of get up, uh, stumble up the stairs a little bit and kind of grab uh, firmly onto the pulpit to steady himself. And, and to be honest, I was a little bit nervous the whole time that he was going to kind of finish his race uh, right there in front of us. Um, by God's grace, that didn't happen, and he preached a, a fine message. It was great. But this was really a, a poignant moment for Paul. This is the, the end of his life. He's in prison in Rome under the charge of sedition. He's been preaching that, that Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. 
And of course, in the Roman Empire, it's the emperor who is king and who is Lord. So things do not look good for Paul, and he realizes that this is the end for him. And that's the clear message that he's giving to Timothy, this younger pastor. And as he realizes that he's about to die, he takes a moment to reflect on his life. And, and first, he, he takes a look back. And we see three different ways that he uses to describe what he sees as he looks back. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So he uses this kind of athletic imagery here of, of striving in, in the good direction, of, of going that, that whole, he's ran that whole marathon, ran the whole course, and now he's crossing the finish line, and, and he feels like he's done that well. He says, I have kept the faith. He, he's still holding on to the gospel message. He's believing the truth about who Jesus is. And not only that, but he's also helped others to hold on to this firm foundation of the gospel. So as he takes this look back at his life, he has confidence. He feels that he has lived his life well. Then, of course, if he's looking back, he's also looking forward. What awaits him after death? He says, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. A crown was what victorious athletes in this time period were awarded when they won the race. And so as Paul looks to the other side after his death, that's what he's anticipating. Because of the work of Christ on his behalf, Jesus, the ultimate victor, is going to give him that crown of righteousness at the very end. So he looks back with confidence that he feels like he has lived his life well. He looks forward to what awaits him after death with confidence, realizing that, that there's a reward ahead of him. And then he takes a look at where he is right now. And this is the hard part. Verse 9, he says to Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. And here we see a very realistic picture of, of where Paul is right here. And if you ever think that Paul is a super saint, this is showing the, the other side of it. He is cold and he is lonely all abandoned at the end of his life. And so the reason that he's calling Timothy to come, and this probably would have been a month's uh, journey, multiple months of journey, a difficult travel from uh, Ephesus, where, where Timothy probably is, all the way up to Rome. This would have been a, an expensive, difficult journey. But he wants him there because he's lonely. He's cold. He needs the encouragement that Timothy is going to bring him. And, and you see here Paul expressing a feeling of abandonment. Demas, this man who had been a co-worker of the gospel, had been serving the churches alongside of him, has deserted him. And then Titus and Crescens, Tychicus, these, these other co-workers have gone to other assignments. And it's just Paul there all alone in prison in Rome. And, and Luke's there, the gospel writer Luke is with him, but he feels very lonely. And so he's asking Timothy to come and to bring Mark for encouragement. And then he, he asks for a couple of just basic physical things as well. Bring my cloak and bring my, bring my books, basically. And a cloak that would make a lot of sense. He's, he's in a Roman prison, probably the, the infamous Mamertine prison. He, he needed this cloak even to survive the winter probably at this point. And of course, there's this intriguing thing about the scrolls or the books. We wonder, well, is this the Old Testament that he, that he has a copy of that he wants with him? Are these copies of his letters that he written? We don't know for sure, but he's, he's asking for kind of some physical comfort objects here. What we see is a, a realistic picture of how bad Paul's current situation is. He's lonely, he's cold, he's about to be executed for his faith. 
And yet, as he looks at his life, he expresses confidence. He feels that he has lived it well, and he's confident that after death, things are going to be all right. Now, you can imagine that if you were in Paul's shoes here, you might wonder, what did I do wrong? Where did I go wrong here? Everyone has abandoned him. He's left to, to rot in this Roman prison cell all alone, and he's soon to be killed. It's not exactly the, the picture of retirement that I have. This isn't happily ever after at all. And yet what's interesting here is that as he's giving this realistic picture, he is still expressing this confidence, but his focus isn't on himself. So it, it, the first realization we make as we look at this is that, that he does have that confidence that he lived his life well, but then even more important that we realize that, that Paul cares about the mission of God more than anything else. And we see a picture of this already, indicators in verses 9 through 13, which we just read. Paul is in prison. Yes, he's, he's mentioning his own needs. He's asking Timothy to come, but, but look what else he's doing. He's sending people to different areas so that the gospel will continue to go forward. So Demas has deserted him, but at least he's gone to a place where there's a solid church. Titus, too, is going where there's churches. Crescens is going where there's churches. He's sending Tychicus to Ephesus to free up Timothy and, and Mark to be able to come to Rome and minister to him. So even as he is looking at his own needs and even as he's feeling the sense of abandonment, his concern here, overriding concern, is that the church would continue in a healthy manner. He wants to make sure there are gospel ministers in the churches of God. The concern continues. He gives a warning, verses 14 and 15. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Again, Paul's concern here is for the health of the churches. He knows that there are people like Alexander who can do a great deal of harm to God's people and to the church. And so he's warning Timothy against this. Timothy needs to beware of people like him. Again, at the forefront of Paul's mind is what's going to happen to the church? The most important thing for him is the mission of God in the world. And we see this really powerfully when he talks about his own trial. Look at verses 16 through 18. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's talking here about the trial that he is undergoing in Rome. And from a human perspective, we see that this is not good. Imagine being there on trial and the defense calls for the witness and there's no witnesses there willing to stand up for you and support you totally abandoned. It's a, it's a terrible feeling, but, but that's not that important to Paul. He's able to say, don't let that, don't hold that against them. Why? Because Jesus has stood with him. Jesus has strengthened him so that he can proclaim the message of Christ, that the gospel message to the important people in Rome. That's his biggest concern. Jesus has rescued him from death, and, and Paul trusts his whole life to Christ. Don't miss that important phrase in the middle there in verse 17. What is his underlying concern? The Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. Why? So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. That's his overriding concern. See, this is the mission that he has been given by God. He's been commissioned to preach the gospel among all the Gentiles. And here he is in Rome, in prison, on trial. His concern here is to continue on in that mission. 
I don't know about you, but if I'm in that position, if I'm trial, on trial, what I want more than anything is to be released and acquitted. I want to be declared innocent and get out of there, especially if I'm in a terrible prison like Paul is in currently. I want to be out of there. If I'm praying to God, I'm asking Jesus to deliver me, to rescue me out of that. But even here, that's not Paul's primary concern. It's more important to him that he gets a chance to proclaim the gospel to those who might otherwise never get to hear it. The mission of God is the most important thing in the world to him. He cares about that more than his personal safety. He cares about it more than his personal comfort. The mission of God is the most important thing in the world to him. Several years ago, uh, our very oldest member, Ruth Swanson, was having some, some health issues, and, and she had to go over to tender care, so she moved from her house into the nursing home, and, and we were concerned about her. We were, we were praying for her and, and wanted to encourage her. I went and, and saw her at tender care, and, and here's what was really remarkable to me. I, I went there uh, asking after her health, asking how she was feeling, asking if she was discouraged, all this kind of thing, but you know what? She didn't really care to talk about all that. Here's what she was saying. You know, I was talking to this guy down the hall, and, and he seemed really discouraged. And, and so I, I want to make sure that we pray for him too. And, and she's wheeling her, her wheelchair up and down the hallway, talking to people and ministering to them. She, she said, well, I, I'm not sure this person knows Jesus yet. We, we should pray for them too. Like, here I am, because I'm concerned about her and her health. She just had this major life change. And what she's most concerned about is that more people get ministered to with the gospel. That's the most important thing to her. It's the same attitude that Paul has. He's in prison. He's on trial for his life. And his biggest concern isn't himself. It's the mission of God. So we see the letter coming to a close. Verse 19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. And even here, in the very simple closing of a letter, we see again Paul making sure that people are encouraged, that church leaders are in different spots where they can continue the mission of God and continue to be part of the church growing in healthy ways. This is a remarkable end to the letter. It's understated, but it's really remarkable if we see Paul's heartbeat here. We come to to what are probably the last words that, that we have recorded of what Paul wrote. He's at the very end of his life. Soon he's going to be executed. But what is so remarkable is that he is doing everything he can with his last time and his last energy to serve the church to the very end. And so the big takeaway that we have for this is to realize that that the mission of God is the most important thing in the world, and we are to give our lives over it to the very end. So how how do we learn from this passage? What do we take away from this? Well, we see the example of a man who gave his whole life over to God's mission. He entrusted his life to God, and he gave every ounce of energy to God's work from the moment he met Jesus to the the day he was executed. Every ounce of his energy given over to the mission of God. So apparently, my retirement plans have to change. Maybe yours do too. It's not just an endless vacation. We're to work hard to the very end with all of the energy that Christ gives us. This doesn't mean that you have to keep working to uh, the very end of your life. It doesn't mean you have to keep working until you're 78 years old. But it does mean that we don't get to retire out of faithfulness to God. 
We don't get to retire out of seeking to be used by God so that more and more people would find life in Christ. But of course, it's not just for the, the last stages of our life. Yes, that's the perspective that Paul's writing from, but this is where we have to come to grips with every single day. The big question that each of us has to, to wrestle with is, what is going to drive my remaining time and energy? See, every one of us has a finite amount of time left on this earth, and every one of us has a finite amount of energy to use during that time. How am I going to make that count? How do I live in light of that? Paul gives such a a challenging example for us here, to live for Christ to the very end. But here's the reality. Most of us don't live like that. They say that in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And this is where the 80% of us kind of slink down a little bit in our pews and start getting a little concerned because he's going to make me try to sign up for nursery. And I am going to try to make you sign up for nursery, but um, not yet. It's very easy for us to adopt a consumer mentality when we come to church, right? It's very easy for us to think of church as something that we come to. It's an event. It's an occasion. It's just something that we do as part of our lives. But the example of Paul is, is so different from that. It's not that this is one part of my life. It's no, this is the central call of who I am. I am called to be a minister of the gospel. I am called to be a missionary for the work of God with every bit of time and energy he gives me from now until my death, the end of my life. So what if we as a church traded in that consumer mentality for Paul's mindset here, all in every day for the mission that Jesus has given us? See, this whole series has been about gospel priorities. The, the reason that people make New Year's resolutions at the start of a new year is because we realize that we have to make changes in our lives. We aspire to grow and, and to, to develop, to change over time. As a church, the reason we're starting this year with this series on gospel priorities is because we, want to just, we don't want to just talk about this stuff. If we just gather and, and read the Bible and sing some songs and it doesn't actually make a difference in our lives, what are we doing? We're just wasting our time. Now, this is showing us this is what life is all about. And from the very beginning, we see that the gospel has to be the foundation. This is the central priority of our lives. The gospel is the good news that, that God sent His Son to rescue us. And by the cross, we are forgiven from all of our sins, and, and we are given this new life through His resurrection. The gospel is that central part, the foundation of, of who we are. And then we realize that, that the gospel also then gives us a mission, and this disciple-making mission is what we are all about now. It is our priority as a church and as followers of Jesus to pass on the good news to others who can pass it on to others who can pass it on to others so that the gospel goes all the way around the world from generation to generation. And we saw the, the power of our words, that we can use our words to tear down and destroy, or we can use our words to point people to Christ and to bring life. We need to be people who speak life into the world. And then last week we saw how this is not just a dead book, it's not just words on a page, but God breathes His life into this book and shapes us to be His people so that we can actually know Him through His Word. And now we learn that that doesn't just stop. We don't get to just kind of retire out from there, but every single day, all of our time, all of our energy for this. Let's get a little more specific. 
Paul is writing from the perspective of the end. So let's start with uh, the older generation here. I've got bad news for you baby boomers, by the way. Uh, Culturally speaking, you are moving to the point where you are now included in older. Now, I would never say that about you. I know that you still think of yourselves as, you know, kind of young adults and stuff like that. I think of you absolutely the same way. But culturally speaking, you're kind of in the, the older category now. Your vision for the last chapters of your life has to be different, right? It means that we don't retire out of gospel mission to a life of ease and comfort. It means instead that we have new opportunities to live out that mission. So your pace is going to change. Your energy level is probably going to change. Your specific opportunities are going to change. But the mission is the same all the way to the end. It's to make more and stronger disciples. This is what we are called to. And the biblical pattern is for one generation to pass on what they've experienced of God's love and His salvation to that next generation. So my challenge to those of you who are in this category of life is how will you pour into that next generation? There are so many great opportunities for this. I mentioned nursery already. Nursery is a fantastic opportunity to to serve the youngest uh, generation in our church and to serve their families. We've got a bunch of babies right now. We've got a bunch more babies being born this year, and we're trying to reach a bunch more families with babies out in our community who don't know Christ yet. This is one simple way that we can serve those families and be part of that. A growing ministry, growing opportunities there. This summer, we're trying to do a VBS. Pastor Travis is putting together a, a gathering this uh, month toward the end of the month. You can be part of that. If you're afraid of babies, then, then get involved in the lives of some of these kids. We'd love to have 7,500 kids come and hear the gospel right here. You could be part of that, not just providing child care so parents can go have fun, but, but really making a deep impact in the lives of, those, uh, of that next generation. Here's the problem. There are lots of things that, that get in the way of this culturally. This cross-generational thing is a countercultural element. On the one hand, you are told that, that you are entering years, years of rest, that this is the time to kind of sit back and, and enjoy the fruit of your labor and let those, those younger people kind of take over and do the hard work. And you get just to kind of get to coast. And even worse than that is that there's not really a cultural value of this cross-generational interaction. We divide by age all the time. Cross-generational interaction is, is very limited in our culture. It's simply easier to pair like with like. And so those in the same life category, the same life stage and all that, they tend to, we tend to gather them in those categories. And we have to admit that, that church is, is no better here. And in fact, there are some church cultural patterns as well that work against this. There's a, a strong trend toward younger pastors and, and younger church leaders. Forty years ago, you, this church would not have hired a 27-year-old pastor without pastoral experience to serve as their senior pastor. It just wouldn't have happened 40 years ago. Now, I think there are some good things there. I get a job. That's great. But in addition to the, the good things, there are also some, some really terrible things that can come as a result of this. You might have the impression, you might get the implicit message that you are no longer wanted. That's disastrous. That's disastrous for the church. And the reality is you might feel that way at our church. There, there are lots of young leaders here. We've got young pastors and all of that. It's very easy to feel unwanted, and it's very easy as a result of that to disengage. Here's what I'm asking you. Don't disengage. We need you so badly. It will be disastrous for our church if we do not have that ongoing generation-to-generation interaction and disciple-making. It takes hard work. 
It takes perseverance. There are going to be times when, when you're going to be frustrated because we're going to do things in, in ways that, that just frustrate you, and, and you're going to struggle with it. We're going to make mistakes, but we're going to keep working through it because this is too important. We also realize that there's a, there's a cost to reaching that next generation. My friend Paul was talking about how hard it is for him to connect with his uh, young adult son. Paul uh, loves everything outside. He loves hiking. He loves canoeing. He just loves to be outside. He loves to be outdoors. That's, that's his great passion. His son does not love to be outdoors. His son loves to watch movies. They are his singular focus in life. His singular passion is movies. Now, Paul doesn't love movies. Right? He doesn't even really like movies very much. But Paul loves his son. And so he has decided that he's going to be watching movies with his son and interacting with his son around movies because he's decided that, that that's more important to him. He could have said, you know, my son has to meet me on my terms. It's healthier for us to be outside. It's better for us. We don't get all that garbage and stuff. It's better for us to be outside. He's going to come to me on my terms, and then we're going to have a relationship. But he didn't do that because his, his, his having a value of, of a deeper relationship with his son was more important to him. So he was willing to pay that price of doing something that he doesn't even like doing for the sake of reaching his son and having a deeper relationship with him. That's the kind of attitude that we have to have. The, the mission has to be more important to us than our own desires or our own preferences. We have to be willing to pay the price to reach that next generation where they are right now. And I'm so encouraged. A number of you are doing that. You are pouring out your lives uh, in, in retirement. You're pouring your lives out mentoring, teaching, sharing, serving. It's fantastic. We've got to keep pressing on for there. Of course, this isn't just a message for people who are kind of at the last stages of their life. It's not just a message for old people like Paul. It goes both ways. The younger generation, we too are called to action. Millennials, we have been called snowflakes, right? because we are so special and so unique and so beautiful and because old people don't really like snow anymore. Um, so we've been called snowflakes. Paul is calling us by his example to something more. He is raising the standard for what this is about. Look at what your life is lived for and make a decision that you are not going to be another one of those stats, another one of those people that people look at, oh, okay, they're just you know, living in their parents' basement. No, you live your life on purpose. And if we want to make a difference, if we want to use our life for gospel priorities to the very end, it means we have to learn from that previous generation. There is so much wisdom and perspective in this church family that we have to learn from. And yes, that might mean that, that we have to engage in things that might not be our first choice either. That goes both ways. But we do that because it's so important to be able to gain from that wisdom and gain from that experience. What does it mean to walk with Christ through difficult things? There is so much wisdom. We impoverish ourselves if we are limiting ourselves to only engaging with peers and not with those the generation above and also then eventually a generation below as well. I still remember something I heard from a man who had recently retired. He said, the pace of life and the demands of my job kept me from having the impact that I felt I should have had with my family and with my church. Now that he said that statement with, with a, a significant degree of regret, but for me, this was a great gift for, for someone who was just starting off in a career and just starting off with, with young kids at home, it was so valuable to me to hear this 
from someone you know, 30, 40 years down the road for me to say, no, you have to take advantage of living your life well now. It's going to go fast. Time is so fleeting. Your time with your kids, you, the energy that you have, it goes so quickly to the end. Use your time well. So I challenge my generation that we've got to have those eyes. Now, maybe you've got little ones at home and you are overwhelmed. You can't even imagine what this would look like. Maybe you're just striving to put things together financially in your household. Maybe you are overwhelmed with responsibilities at work and and what you're going to do with all this stuff. It's very easy for us to get caught up in those things. And there are so many valid excuses that we have. But we have to see that there is something more important here. I mean, look at the life of Paul. He was at the end of his life. He was living in terrible conditions, about to be executed. And what he is more concerned about than anything else is that the mission of God would continue on in the world and how he can use his remaining time and energy to serve that mission. That is incredibly challenging, but it's what we are called to. For all of us, this book is, is, a, is a call to, to look at our lives and to get our priorities right. We don't get to retire out of gospel mission. We don't get to wait for a convenient stage of life before we engage in, in gospel priorities. No, we, we align our lives by what God is calling us to. We are called to live every day with every ounce of energy that God gives us for His glory. I realize that, that maybe you haven't lived that way, and, and it's possible that you're sitting here and you're feeling beat up. That's not my intention. Maybe you feel regret. Maybe you feel some guilt or shame. That's not what this is about. This isn't about looking back with regret. This is about saying, okay, where am I today? What is the time left that, I, that God is giving me? How do I use that well? This is about looking forward and going forward with intentionality. See, God has given you talents and gifts. He's given you passion. He's given you abilities. He gives you opportunities every day. What I'm asking you to do is to make it your prayer every day that God will show you how to use all of that for His glory. So this is the final challenge for us. I want you to take some time this week, and I want you to sit down and spend some time talking with God. And I want you to ask Him to to show you how to live your life. As you look at, at the energy that you have, you look at the stage of life you're in right now. You look at the, the years, perhaps, that God has given you in the future. Ask Him to, to show you how to use your time well. And I want you to get specific on this. Don't just say things like, well, I, I want to help other people. That's great. How are you going to do that? We can have great intentions, but unless we get specific about it, unless we actually put it on our calendar, no, this is how I'm going to engage. This is what I'm going to do. It's very easy for those intentions to suddenly go, and then 20 years later, you think, oh, I was supposed to do that. I was going to do that. No, take time to open up your heart before God. Look at your life. Look at your opportunities, and ask God how you can use your life well for Him right now. I don't know about you, but it's been so challenging for me to, to look at how Paul lived his life. And it's easy to make excuses like, well, he was an apostle. He, he was the super guy and all that. Well, no, he was a human, right? He was a human just like you and I are. It's been so challenging to see, well, this is how he lived his life. But in addition to being challenging, for me, this is also inspiring. So, no, this is what God is, is calling us to. He can take an ordinary person like Paul, who wasn't always a very good person, and he can use them powerfully for his mission in the world. If he can use someone like Paul, he can use someone like you. He can use someone like me. And that's our great 
goal. That's our great desire. We want to come to the end of our life and be able to look back and say, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Pray with me. God, I thank you for those who have gone before us and who have shown us what it means to live a life of faithfulness. I thank you that we have in Scripture right here the last words of Paul to the end of his life. And we can see what it means for him to pour out all of his time, all of his energy for this great concern that your name would be held in honor among all people. I pray that you would work in our hearts so that we would desire more than anything to be used by you for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.